Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us, God, in the fire of difficult circumstance, in the flood of broken relationships, in the difficulty of sin and shame and uh, just the fractured world that we live in. You have not forgotten. And even what the enemy means for evil, according to Genesis 50, God, you turn it for our good and for your glory. All things are not good, God, but you are able to use all things for our good and for your glory. And so we're grateful today, God, that we can trust you, that we can call out to you, that we can worship you. Grateful that you hear us. Grateful, God, even that those deep cries within our hearts that sometimes we even have difficulty attaching words to them. You know even those, the deepest kind of groanings of our inward spirit. You hear even those things that we're unable to articulate. And you are sovereign over us. Thank you, Jesus, for an opportunity to sing to you and about you. Thank you for your presence here with us in this place. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning once again. My name is Lucas Cooper. I'm the lead pastor here at Bayview Glen. If you don't know who I am, uh, that's, that's me. Glad that you're here. For those of you who call this place home, it's great to see you. Uh, I know Dave already welcomed those of you who may be new with us. We're gr- uh, glad that you're here. Just want to extend a warm welcome to you if you're, if you're brand new. Uh, thanks for joining us this weekend to make much of Jesus and to hear from his word together. And today we start a brand new series called Connect. I'm really, really excited about this series because I believe it meets a felt need in our church for connection. So we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. And for those of you who don't know, many of you already know this, but Bayview Glen has essentially doubled in size over the last 24 months. According to kind of the attendance numbers we keep in our Sunday morning corporate worship service, we've kind of doubled in size in the last 24 months. So it probably will not surprise you to hear that one of the most common questions that I get and our staff and pastors get is, how do I connect to Bayview Glen Church? Because a majority, uh, right at right at about half of our congregation has been here for less than five years. A, a large portion of our congregation has been here for less than two years. And so we have people who are attending here on a regular basis, but they want to make that next step of connection. And so people say, look, I'm a regular Sunday morning attender, but I want to connect in community. I want to connect in relationships. I want to establish a formal connection to Bayview Glen Church. And that common theme is connection. And so for those of you who have felt that desire to connect in a greater way to Bayview Glen Church, this series is absolutely for you. And for those of you who have been here a very long time and you are already connected to Bayview Glen, but you want to kind of make that next step of connection to Bayview Glen, this series is absolutely for you. And even those of you who would rather not connect to Bayview Glen, this series is for you because I'm going to try to convince you Otherwise, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about connecting to Bayview Glen, to community, to membership, to missions, to service, and we're going to give you some practical steps towards that end, connecting to Bayview Glen. And today, we have got to start our series with our mission. 
That's, that's where we're going to land today. That's what we're going to establish because our mission, vision, and strategy is absolutely kind of the fountainhead and the grid that we pass everything through. It's the source of all that we do here at Bayview, our mission, vision, and strategy. And, and I, I would just ask that you would indulge me one more time because I, I do want to go to the Lord in prayer before we open up his word and ask him to speak to us regarding our mission here at Bayview. God, thank you for your word, thank you for your book, thank you for the ways that you speak to us, and we invite you even now, God, open our spiritual ears, open our spiritual eyes, that we may behold wonderful things today from your law, specifically from the book of Nehemiah. In Christ's name, amen. There is hardly a more critical task for us as a church than defining our vision. There's hardly a more critical task for us as a church than defining our vision. Perhaps you feel like that's an overstatement. Perhaps you feel like there are other things that we ought to be doing as a church rather than defining our vision. But I would beg to differ. Defining our vision is absolutely critical. Defining our vision, our mission, our goal, our aim as a church is absolutely critical. Seneca was a Roman statesman and author. He wrote this, to the person who does not know where he wants to go, there is no favorable wind. A great theologian named Mark Twain wrote this, I can teach anyone to get what they want out of life. Wow. The problem is I can't find anyone to tell me what they want. <laughs> In other words, what we want, where we want to go, more specifically for us, where God has called us to go, matters. Vision matters. An even better theologian, a guy named Solomon, wrote most of the Proverbs, wrote this in Proverbs 29, 18. Without vision, the people perish. Other Bible translations read this way. Without vision, the people cast off restraint. The message version of scripture, I love this. When people don't know what they're doing, they stumble all over themselves. Love that one. That's good. Thank you, message people, uh, for being real direct and to the point. When we don't know where we're going, we stumble all over ourselves. In other words, defining our vision is absolutely critical. Defining your aim, your purpose, your vision, your mission is so critical, in fact, that even Jesus had a life mission statement, a vision for himself. It's recorded in Luke 19.10. He says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This is widely considered Jesus' life mission. This is my aim. This is my goal. This is my objective. This is why I'm here. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if Jesus needed a clearly articulated vision, the same has got to be true for us, right? If even Jesus needed one, The same has to be true for us. If we have no vision, what are we praying for? If we have no vision, what are we giving toward? If we have no vision, what are we working toward? If we have no vision, we would just be like a boxer who punches at the air and doesn't fight an enemy or a competitor, just like Paul writes about a boxer that just beats at the air and does this and tries to beat his enemy. And for the next, like, week, this vision of your pastor doing this on stage is going to be in your head, right? That's what happens when you don't have a vision. You're like a fighter just punching at the air, flailing around. If we have no vision, no aim, no goal, no calling, then we might as well just head out into the foyer for cookies right now. Defining our vision is absolutely critical. We must define our vision. 
And when I think about Godward vision, not just vision, but Godward vision, a vision that leads people toward the heart of God, moves people toward the heart of God, I immediately think about Nehemiah. Immediately think about Nehemiah. You see, when Nehemiah came on the scene during the 5th century B.C., this is 500 years, 450 years, before Jesus came on the scene, God's people had been through some radical change, just like Bayview Glen has been through some radical change. Stick with me real quick. We're going to do kind of a quick history just to set up a little bit of a context to where Nehemiah was and where the nation of Israel was specifically when Nehemiah came on the scene. In the 7th century BC, right towards the end, a young man named Josiah became king in Israel. Now Israel had strayed quite a ways from the covenant stipulations that God had clearly articulated and it had impacted their situation in a very negative way. So Josiah's first goal as king was to establish some spiritual reforms and some religious reforms in the nation of Israel. And he brought a devotion back to the word of God. But it didn't last, and Josiah died, and that spiritual renewal, that spiritual vitality, that commitment to God's word began to wane again. And instead now of using a king to renew Israel, God used an outside nation to come in and get Israel's attention. And by outside nation, I mean Babylonian empire. And by get Israel's attention, I mean burn Jerusalem to the ground. So in 586 BC, the Babylonian empire conquered the nation of Israel and burned Jerusalem and all that was in it to the ground. This is historical. You can read about it in history books. Then nearly 50 years later, King Cyrus in the Persian Empire in 539 BC conquered the Babylonian Empire and the nation of Israel and Jerusalem became subjects to the Persian Empire. So rather than being under Babylonian control, they were now under Persian control. And at this point, God figured that Israel had kind of learned its lesson and he had got their attention because Jerusalem was burned to the ground, and the, uh, King Cyrus began to release groups of Jews back to Jerusalem to rebuild their beloved capital city. This city that the Babylonian Empire had wrecked and burned to the ground, these groups of Jews began to uh, return back to Jerusalem. That first group of Jews returned to Jerusalem in 538 BC, right about 50 years after Jerusalem was originally sacked by the Babylonian Empire. And Zerubbabel, a man named Zerubbabel, led that first group of Jews out of exile back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Just a side note, if you're pregnant right now, please name your kid Zerubbabel. I think that's great, okay? Like, like that's, you want a biblical name, Zerubbabel, okay? And, and, and let me dedicate the child, please. I just... I want to be able to do that. Okay, so Zerubbabel and this first group of Jews returned to Jerusalem, and the first thing that they did was rebuild the temple. The second group of Jews that returned back to Jerusalem was led by a man named Ezra. You may have heard of him. You can read all about this in the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. And Ezra brought back a devotion to God's word to Israel. And one of the men in that group was a man named Hanani. And, and, and he uh, was part of that group of Jews that returned with Ezra and brought a renewed focus back to uh, the word of God in Israel. 
So remember, while Hanani and Ezra and that group were rebuilding Jerusalem, the majority of God's people were still in exile. They were still in Persian control. They had not returned to Jerusalem. And one of those men that was still in exile with the majority of God's people was Hanani's brother, a man named Nehemiah. And that's where we pick up our story in Nehemiah chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's up here on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. I'm just going to start reading. As some of you flip there, that's okay. You can do that in your phone, the Bible, the Bible in the seat back in front of you. Like I said, it's always up here on the screen. Nehemiah writes this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel. So the setting here is this. He's in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. He's still in exile. And Hanani and Ezra and that group of men, that second group of men and women, that second group of Jews that returned to Israel to re or returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the capital city, returns to Susa the citadel. Verse 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. They returned to that capital city, and I, Nehemiah, asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. Stop there. Just so you know, Nehemiah's job, his vocation, his occupation, he was cupbearer to the king. So this is a fairly prestigious position that Nehemiah holds, and it's in secular government. But listen to what Nehemiah says to his brother. He expresses a heart for the people of God, doesn't he? He expresses compassion. He expresses concern. I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. He has a compassion for God's people. He cares about Israel's plight. He wants to know how the people are doing. He is concerned about their welfare. Nod, and we'll keep going. Everybody got it? Good. All right. Verse 3. And they said to me... The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now check this out. Now a need has been established, right? Very clear what Jerusalem needs at this point. You know why they were in great trouble and shame? By the way, I didn't tell the first service this, but I'll tell you this. It's because in the Old Testament, the way that you established a city was built a wall. And so when you build a wall, that became a city. So a city without a wall is not a city at all. <laughs> That's why they were in shame because they're like, we love our city. And everybody's going, what city? There's no wall. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for calling that a city. They're in great trouble and shame. So there's a very, very clear need now for the nation of Israel to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem because a city without a wall is no city at all. I like that. Someone write that down. Remind me. All right. Verse 4, Nehemiah has established a compassion, care, and concern for God's people. Number 2, a need has been clearly defined. Look at verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I established a plan and executed. No, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So once Nehemiah heard of the need in Jerusalem, what was his first response? Weep, mourn, pray, fast, and seek God. You can read Nehemiah's prayer there in chapter 1. It's great because it's primarily repentance and seeking God. Get this, Nehemiah does not say, okay, God, here's my plan, now bless it. You ever done that before? 
That's not what Nehemiah says to God. He says, God, I repent. My family repents. The nation repents. We seek you and we say yes to whatever you have for us next. And notice that God has not given Nehemiah a vision yet. There's no task. There's nothing to do. Nehemiah has simply expressed a deep compassion and concern for God's people. A need has been clearly established and he seeks God's face in prayer. So what does that mean for us? What can we as a church learn from Nehemiah? This is bottom line truth number one as we talk about our mission and vision as a church. Here we go. The best vision, the best vision is rooted in compassion, refined by need, and realized in prayer. The best vision is rooted in compassion. It begins with a care and concern for God's people. Do you hear that? Do you hear that from me and from Nehemiah and from the elders here and from those who call this place home? We care a great deal about the people of God, not just those he has already called, but those that he will call. There is a deep care and concern and compassion for the people of God. Number two, it's refined by need. As we establish a vision and as we move towards a mission in our church, it's not just kind of this willy-nilly haphazard thing that we made up. It's a response to the needs in our church and in the community around us, just like Nehemiah's mission and vision was refined by needs. And it's realized in prayer. Remember, Just because Nehemiah cares for God's people, just because there's a need established, does not mean that he's going to get a vision. He gets a vision for what God has called him to do when he seeks the face of God. Vision is realized in prayer. For those of you who have been around Bayview Glen for a bit, you know that there was a time when our spiritual vitality in this church kind of waned a little bit. When our commitment to the mission that God has called us to kind of waned a little bit. For those of you who are brand new with us, you may not know that, but there was a time. And individuals in our church and small groups and pockets of people in our church remained committed and resolutely focused on, passionate about the mission and vision that God has called his church to. But as a church, we kind of got off the rails a little bit. The ship began to list a little bit. You want to know when that changed you want to know when that shift took place here at Bayview Glen nearly a year and a half before I even knew Bayview Glen Church existed I didn't even know Canada existed a year and a half ago you know side the point the point is nearly a year and a half before I even knew Bayview Glen Church existed the elders began to pray fervently They began to seek the face of God. Why? Because they cared about the people of God and they refined their vision with a need. They saw needs in the community and they began to pray. Look, here's just one practical thing that happened. This is like four years ago, three and a half, four years ago, John, am I I about right? The elders were meeting once a month to do business stuff because there's a board that's got to run the church and they've got to decide business stuff. So here's what was happening at that meeting. They would get together at seven o'clock and they would do business stuff until 11 o'clock and then they would delay prayer to the next month. 
And then they would get together and they would do business stuff from 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock and then they would delay prayer to the next month. You ever, just, just so the elders know that we've, we're, supporting, we're supporting them and we empathize and we're with them in this. Anybody ever procrastinated prayer? One, two, three, raise your hand. Oh, come on, the rest of you. Come on now. We push it off sometimes. Here's, here's what the elders did. They said, we're going we're gonna to meet twice a month. Once a month, we're going to do the business stuff because we got to do that stuff. we got to do that stuff. And the other gathering that we have in a month, we're just going to devote to prayer. You see the leadership there? Do you see that? Do you see how they even took a cue from Nehemiah and began to seek the face of God? And as they did that, individuals in our church began to seek the face of God in prayer. I know of a couple of groups of people that were just meeting informally for prayer just to come before God and say, God, we seek your face for the vision and mission of Bayview Glen Church. Families, groups, individuals, all of us came to God and we say, God, we repent, we seek your will, we turn to you, and we say yes to whatever you say. And as we we prayed, God stirred up compassion in our church, compassion for one another, compassion for the community around us, a desire to see God's church grow in devotion and grow in Christ-likeness and grow in our commitment to reach those who don't yet know Jesus. And then, and then God began to reveal needs. He began to reveal needs in our church. He began to reveal needs in our community. What does our church need? What does our community need? What does our city need? What does our world need? And in the days of Nehemiah, Jerusalem had been broken down and burned by fire. And for us, the need was just as clear because marriages had been broken down and burned by fire. Self-worth had been broken down and burned by fire. Our unity as a body was being broken down and burned by fire. The spiritual well-being of this great city of Toronto was being broken down and burned by fire. In fact, in fact, just by show of hands, how many of you can say, and we'll do this in a minute, I'll count one, two, three, we'll raise our hands. How many of you can say, I know this city needs Jesus? I know this city needs Jesus. I got a friend. I got a family member. I got a hairdresser. I got a service provider that needs the healing grace of Jesus, that needs the touch of God, that needs the renewing spirit of God. The needs are clear, are they not? They became so clear as God stirred up a compassion in our hearts and we sought the face of God. Babe, you saw the need just like Nehemiah did. And those needs... The compassion that God stirred and our fervent prayer has been the catalyst for vision in our church. And for Nehemiah, the vision was really simple and really clear. Restore Jerusalem. <laughs> Rebuild the capital. Real straightforward. For us, the mission, the mission, the vision is just as simple and just as clear. Glorify God, foster community, make disciples. Glorify God, foster community, make disciples. You can throw that slide up here on the screen. Glorify God, foster community, and make disciples. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we're after. This is what we focus upon. I want to help everybody understand this. For those of you who have heard this before, this is, this is uh, just a refresher. And for those of you who are maybe new to us, this is the cry of our hearts. This is what our hearts beat for. And this is the vision that God has called us to that's rooted in compassion, refined by need, and realized in prayer. Glorify God. I know that word glorify is like a church word, but here's what it means. We want to make much of Jesus. We want to make him famous. 
We would like for Jesus to be more famous than Caitlyn Jenner, okay? We would like for him to be on the cover of magazines and on billboards. We would like for people at your workplace to be talking about Jesus. We would like for people at your school to be talking about Jesus, not about the latest thing that happened in Hollywood and not about the latest Donald Trump running for president in my home country for the love of all that's good and holy. Can we edit that out of the podcast? Can we? That's, I just revealed a lot of stuff there. Beside the point, the point is we want God to get glory, attention, fame. If you leave this place and you do not remember my name and you do not remember Bayview Glen and you remember the name of Jesus, we succeeded in glorifying God. Number two, we want to foster community. We want to give God's people an opportunity to connect in relationships, and we want to give those outside of our church walls the opportunity to connect in relationships because everybody needs a Christian friend. Whether you're a Christian or not, everybody needs a Christian friend. Number three, we want to make disciples, not converts, not church attenders, disciples, followers of Jesus, people that modeled their life after his life. That's what we're after. That's it. That's our aim, that's our mission, that's our vision. And since the definition of division, division, is more than one vision, we only have one vision. That's it. Glorify God, foster community, make disciples. That's what we're after, and we are unified in mind and purpose on that goal. Now, here's the interesting part to me about those three groups of Uh, of Israelites, of Jews, that returned to Jerusalem in three different waves, first led by Zerubbabel, and then the second group led by Ezra, and then the third led by Nehemiah, is that their mission, their objective, their aim, their end goal was all the same. Rebuild the city. Restore Jerusalem. But each group of people had a different role, didn't they? a different contribution, something different to bring to that process, a different strategy for accomplishing the same mission. So so listen, once Nehemiah sought the permission of King Artaxerxes, who had become king after Cyrus in the Persian Empire, he went to King Artaxerxes and he said, hey, I'd like to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the city because I have a compassion for God's people and the need has become very clear and I pray to God and so I want to return. And King Artaxerxes said, great, head back, you can do it. He got to that group of people, he got back to Jerusalem with a group of government officials and Nehemiah left them and got on horseback and began to ride around the outside of the city of Jerusalem by himself. And he noticed that the whole wall had been broken down. He inspected the entire wall. He inspected the entire city. He inspected every gate and everything had been broken down and burned by fire. So remember, his mission was the same as Ezra and the same as Zerubbabel, but look at the strategy. Look at his contribution as he identified the need. Nehemiah 2 verse 17. It's up here on on the screen he says you see the trouble we are in how jerusalem lies in ruins so let us build the what wall of jerusalem in other words 
Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel shared a common mission to restore the city, but God called each one of them to employ a different strategy in order to accomplish that vision. He called Zerubbabel to build the temple. He called Ezra to bring back a devotion to the word, and he called Nehemiah to build the wall. There are individual Christians all over the world, Christians organizations all over the world, Christian churches all over the world that share our church's mission. Glorify God, foster community, make disciples. And, and, and the language is different. They say it differently and they, they, kind of, they, they, they articulate it differently. But we share a common mission and vision. The core message is the same. We are all on mission together, moving toward a common goal, just as Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel were. But our church had to ask the same question that each of those men had to ask. We have a mission, we have an objective, we have an aim. Now, here's the critical question, how do we do that? (laughs) How do we do that? I love to phrase this question a couple different ways and put the emphasis on different different words because it helps me to wrap my mind around how critical this question is. This is the first way I like to say it. How do we do that? What's our strategy? What are we going to do such that we glorify God, foster community, make disciples? Just as Nehemiah said, how? What is the strategy, God, that you want me to employ in order to rebuild the city and accomplish this mission? How do we do that? Second way I like to phrase it, how do we do that? God, what have you called us to? What have you called me to? I know that you've called these other churches and other organizations to employ a different strategy in order to give you glory, foster community, and make disciples. And I love it. That's great. But what have you called us to? Bayview Glen Church. How do we do that? What's our strategy? What is God calling us to in order to glorify him, foster community, and make disciples? And again, in prayer... We believe that God began to reveal how we at Bayview Glen are called to move toward that mission. He gave us a strategy just as he gave Nehemiah a strategy. He made our specific contribution clear. And if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard this strategy before. It's simply this, worship, community, and training. Worship, community, and training. Now, we're going to unpack this in a minute, and we're going to talk about what exactly this means. But I just want to tell you right off the bat that in Nehemiah, Ezra, and Zerubbabel's case, each work that God called each group of people to was different, but no work was better than the other. Do you get that? Each work was different, rebuilding the wall, establishing a devotion to the word, rebuilding the temple. Each work was different, but no work was better than the other. In the same way, we have a different strategy than other great churches out there. We share a common mission, but God has called us to a different strategy, a different work. And no work is better than the other. But we are going to do the work that God called us to do, and only that. 
He's called other churches and other organizations to their work, and we're going to support them. We're going to cheer for them. We're going to pray for them. But this worship community training is the work that God has called us to. So like Nehemiah, we're going to go after that work at 110%. That means our resources. That means our focus. That means our time. That means how we communicate. Everything goes into that strategy. And because it's so critical, let's talk about what each of these things mean. Let's just wrap our mind around it. Worship. It's the first piece. Worship. You're sitting in worship right now. This is part of our strategy or kind of our three-legged stool or three-fold strategy for accomplishing that vision. And there are three things that we're committed to do with excellence each and every weekend when we gather together in worship. We're committed to do this with excellence. This moment here, this Sunday gathering, and we might do Saturday gatherings down the road. If it were up to me, we would do 6 a.m. on Wednesday morning. I'm a morning guy, but, you know, it would be me um, preaching to me. And so we don't, we're not going to do that. But w- right now it's a Sunday gathering, and it may be more down the road, but we're committed to doing this with excellence. We're committed to engaging worship, to giving you an opportunity to connect with God as we sing and pray and read Scripture. We're committed to practical preaching that transforms your life, hopefully. We're committed to making this piece great. We're committed, number two, to Bayview Kids. We're committed to serving the next generation of God's people. Can can I just tell you, this is kind of a pet peeve of mine. It it just is a little bit old to me. It kind of gets a little bit old when we talk about all the time in water cooler conversations and we have conversations about we're concerned about the next generation. Anybody ever heard that? We're concerned about the next generation. Who are we passing the baton to? Who's going to lead the church? Who's the next generation? We talk about that all the time, but what are we doing about it? Like, everybody wants their kids in church, but nobody wants their kids' music played in church. I got to, that's, 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 that's tough for me. We're trying to create an environment where our kids love church so much and belong here and love Jesus so much that they're dragging their parents with them. That's what we're committed to each and every weekend when we gather. The third thing we're committed to is our guest services. We'd like to create an environment where each person that walks through our door feels loved, cared for, and embraced and has a clear pathway to connect to Bayview Glen. We're committed to these things in worship on the weekends. Number two, we're committed to community. We're committed to community. We're committed to creating environments that help facilitate Christian friendships. We we want for people to connect in relationship, to connect in friendship. We've been talking about that quite a bit. We just brought on a pastor to head up and lead that piece of our vision. And Dave Lewis, we'll talk about that more in a moment. But we're committed to creating environments that help facilitate Christian friendships for those inside the church and for those who are not yet here. Number three, we're committed to training. We're committed to training. We're committed to equipping you with the specific tools that you need to live an authentic Christian life. Here's what I mean by that. Lots of us, many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us have a passion to live for Jesus. We would like to model our life after him. We would like to look like him more and more. We would like to be a disciple of his. We would like for people to look at our life and say, wow, that individual, that man or that woman lives their life like Jesus lived his life. And we have a passion to do that, but sometimes we lack the skills, don't we? I'll, give you, I'll just give you an example from my own life. I want to parent my little girl, Kaya. She just turned a year a couple weeks ago. I want to parent her like Jesus 
parents me and parents the church. Our heavenly father oversees as a heavenly father. I want to model my life after him, especially my parenting. But guess what? Sometimes I need help. I do. If you watch me parent, you would agree. Okay? And so what I do is I just give Kaya to my wife and I let her do it. No. That's not what I do. We're trying to create environments in our training courses, and we've already got all of our courses for the next ministry year populated that equip you with skills like parenting, with skills like how to read your Bible, how to pray, how to develop a budget that honors God, how to communicate within the context of a marriage, all specific tools and in order to help you live authentically for Jesus. That's our vision. Worship, community, training. That's our strategy. That's what we do in order to glorify God, foster community, and make disciples. Now, we're going to learn a lot from Nehemiah over the next couple weeks. We're going to learn about cooperation. We're going to learn about resourcing. We're going to learn about commitment. We're going to learn about perseverance. But I want to grab one more principle for today. One more principle from the book of Nehemiah to kind of help us understand the implications of what it means to say we have a vision and we have a strategy. We, we already learned that Nehemiah was called to a specific work. And Nehemiah began that work and got after it at 110% when God called him to that work. And there were a couple of men, three in fact, named Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem that were not fans of Nehemiah's work. They didn't really agree with what Nehemiah was doing, building a wall around Jerusalem. They didn't support the work that God called Nehemiah to. So they attempted to distract Nehemiah from the work that God had called him to. And do you know what they tried to distract Nehemiah with? Check this out. A meeting. <laughs> For those of you who are in vocational ministry or know people in vocational ministry, you think that's really funny, but the other 95% of you don't, all right? But, but, but professional ministry people, you know that meetings are like the number one distraction for actually doing the work that God has called us to do, don't you? Some of you who are in vocational ministry nod with me, all right? They tried to distract Nehemiah with a meeting, not kidding, so much so that they actually try it five times. Five times they say, Nehemiah, leave that work that God has called you to. Leave rebuilding the wall. Come out, and we're going to have a meeting. We're going to talk about this. Look at Nehemiah's response, chapter 6, verse 3. I sent messengers to them, these three men, saying, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? I love this. I absolutely love this. Here, here's what happens. Nehemiah is so committed to God's work, so committed to the strategy that God has called him to and the contribution that God has called him and his people to that he simply says no to anything that might get in the way of that, whether it's good or bad. Anything that might distract him, including but not limited to meetings. And here at Bayview Glen, we feel called to a specific work too. We feel called to that strategy of worship, community, and training. So what that means for us at Bayview Glen Church is that we are going to say no to some good things in order to accomplish the best thing. The thing that God has called us to. 
In other words, we'll say it this way, the best vision means saying yes to the best and no to the rest. The best vision means saying yes to the best and no to the rest. Now get this. I did not say the best vision means saying yes to good things and no to bad things. Sometimes you even have to say no to good things in order to accomplish the best thing, don't you? We have limited resources. We have, each of us is given 168 hours in a week. We don't have unlimited time. We don't have unlimited money. We don't have unlimited anything, unlimited personnel, whatever. And so in the same way, we have got to say no to the rest in order to say yes to the best. I'll tell you what, I've been in vocational ministry now for 18 years. I can't believe it. When I wrote this, uh, when I wrote this message, I, I wrote that I've been in vocational ministry for 15 years. And I thought about it. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's been 18, almost 19 years I've been doing uh, ministry as a job. It's, it's unbelievable. And in those 18 years, you know what I've realized is that everybody loves vision. Everybody loves vision. When we say, hey, God, here's, here's where we're headed, here's where we're going, here's what God has called us to, he says, yes, that's great, that's awesome. You know when we struggle is with the implications of vision. What it means we have to say no to sometimes in order to accomplish the best thing that God has called us to. But listen, if vision has no implications, then it's really not a vision at all. If it does not grip us and cause us to change, it's not vision, it's just an idea. Vision changes things. It just does. If it doesn't change anything, it's just a good idea. But we don't have a good idea. We have a vision that we believe that God has laid upon our hearts and because we have that vision, like Nehemiah did, because we have a strategy like Nehemiah did, it means that we, as a church, sometimes say no to good things. Perhaps we say no to the work that God has called another church to. And God has called them to it, so we support them, love them, and pray for them, but we say no to that work because God has called, not called us to it, called them to it. Perhaps we say no to the things that might distract us, like meetings. <laughs> Perhaps we say no to talking about vision like Nehemiah did because he's too busy accomplishing it to talk about it. But true, Godward, Christ-honoring vision has implications. And one of those implications is saying yes to the best and no to the rest in order to accomplish the work that God has called us to. Last thing. Last thing, I want to just give you three things that have been on my heart as of late in terms of our next ministry year. I know we talk about fiscal year like July 1 to July 1. I know we talk about calendar year, January 1 to January 1. Ministry year for us at Bayview Glen really is like September 1 or the Tuesday after Labor Day through the end of June. And then everyone goes to Cottage Community Church in July and August and just leaves us, right? And we're left as the remnant here and. um Bible joke for Bible people. Um, I don't know where I was. Ministry year. All right. So here we are about to launch into a new ministry year. Labor Day is right around the corner. The leaves are changing up by my house. Are the leaves changing by your house? 
Have you seen them starting to change? The worst thing, here's, here's, here's the thing. We have two seasons in Toronto. I've, I've heard people say this. We have winter and construction. I disagree. We have winter, and then we have two weeks of disappointment, and then we have winter again. That's, those are our two seasons here in Toronto, okay? And so here we are about to start a new school year, and people come back from the summer, and we just, all of our ministry programs and things that have been kind of on break in July and August are ramping back up again. And as we launch into this new ministry year, here are three things that God has laid on my heart as we move forward towards this vision as a church. Here we go. One, pursue multiplication. Pursue multiplication. Here's what this means. I would like for us as a church to consider, not just consider, to commit ourselves to moving towards multiplying. What that means specifically is things like launching additional worship services such that we can reach more people. What that means is considering launching off-site video venues such that we can reach more people. What that means is coming alongside young church planters in the Christian Missionary Alliance such that we can reach more people. We'll have an opportunity to hear from one of those church planters in a couple weeks, Dominic Russo. He's an Alliance church planter and he's planting in Montreal. As a church, our goal has been the same goal that Jesus articulated in Matthew 28 to reach the nations to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The great thing about living right on the border of Toronto and Markham is that we don't have to go to the nations because the nations have come to us, haven't they? And so our goal as a church is just to continue putting churches where there aren't churches, to continue to do more things such that we might grow and multiply. Not because like I want to be a mega church pastor or something like that. That's just, that's just absurd and ridiculous. You know why? Because people matter to God. Because there are needs in our community. We just all raise our hands and say, yes, our, our community needs Jesus. So let's put things in the path of people such that we can meet those needs and grow. And people are transformed by the free grace of Jesus. All right? Number one, pursue multiplication. Number two. Increase belonging. Increase belonging. I was talking with Dave Lewis, our community pastor. He really kind of heads up this part of our vision and creating community. And, and, and we'd like to do that in a couple of ways. We, we'd like to get deeper and wider when it comes to belonging. Re check this out. I love this word belonging. I love it. Because we're not talking about increased involvement. We're not talking about increased, you know, attendance and people checking things off their list. What we're talking about is that we have more people here that say, I belong at Bayview Glen. Just as Dave read from Ephesians just a moment ago, you belong here. We'd like to increase the number of people that say, I belong here. I have a home here in our corporate worship service, in a community group, in a service opportunity, and we want to grow that wider, and, and we want to grow that deeper. For those of you who say right now, I belong at this worship service, we'd like you to take the next step and belong in a community group or belong in an area of service or an area of ministry. For those who haven't even come here yet, we'd like them to feel belonging here at our corporate worship service. I'm not going to attach a percentage to it. I'm not going to attach a number to it. All I want to do is see us grow as a community when it comes to belonging. Number three, I want us to pray. 
I want us to pray. These are in no particular order, by the way. But I just, I don't know. I don't know about you, but like I've become even more convicted lately that I don't pray enough. I don't pray enough. I mean, we talked about it from Colossians chapter 4 just a few weeks ago. For those of you who were here last weekend, Sunder Christian preached a very practical, very personal message on prayer. It's just kind of come up. In fact, I had a friend text me yesterday. He said, man, I just feel called to pray. What can I pray for you for? I would like for our church to let those needs in our community drive us to our knees. That we would take a cue from Nehemiah and we would be a people of prayer this year. And we would seek the face of God. Glorify God, foster community, make disciples. And our strategy is worship, community, and training. This is it. This is what we do. Helen Keller once said that the only worse thing than being blind is having sight but no vision. I love that. The only worse thing than being blind is having sight but no vision. Being able to perceive needs, having compassion for God's people, but having no vision. And this is our vision to glorify God, to foster community and make disciples. And we have a strategy for going about that. I, I love it that she's just saying Proverbs 29, 18 in a different way. Without vision, the people perish. But with vision, the people flourish. This is our vision and this is what we're headed towards. And I dream of a church. I dream of a church that says we're not going to get distracted by gossip. Check it. We're not going to get distracted by gossip. We're not going to get distracted by laziness. We're not going to get distracted to the work that God has called some other church to. We're going to put our hands in the middle and say, God has called us to this work, and we are 110% committed to this work in unity and focus, mind, and heart on the vision that God has called us to. I pray that you would join us in that, especially as we talk about connecting over the next several weeks.